Warning, may contain heroin addiction, 5-MeO-DMT, magic ingredients, and, or peanuts. I, am, Woodstock. So for anyone who doesn't get to watch the video, we are in a picturesque backyard that looks like a botanical garden. Yep. And it's amazing. So again, thank you very much for coming on. Um, as I mentioned on the phone, my, my very good friend, he reached out to a few places because on previous conversations, I'd been speaking to people about mental health, depression, um, anxiety, and a few of them, whether it was on the mic or off, they brought up different types of substances that are illegal, like um, psilocybin is one that came up a lot, DMT. Um, I did speak with someone who does some treatment with ketamine, and I am not experienced in these things. I've been around people who have used them quite a bit. I myself have used them recreationally at times over the years, but it never occurred to me that it was something that was a powerful medicine to help with things that right now are becoming very apparent that the entire United States is suffering with. Yeah, huge. Um, so when I reached out to you, I was very excited to hear a little bit of your story. And I want you to tell everyone that's listening, you know, what was it that got you to where you are today? So tell us first, you know, who you are and what your organization is and what you do. And then what got you to this point? Okay, I'm Casey Marie Mitchell. I am a psychedelic integration specialist focusing on life transformation and holistic addiction recovery. And I've served as president of Portland Psychedelic Society for the last year and a half. And I am now currently just a board member, <laughs> which I'm pretty happy not to have that big responsibility. Um, and uh, my organization that I will be launching is the Psychedelic Integration Collective. And I work with individuals coaching uh, for preparation and integration of psychedelic uh, experiences. I also help people learn how to use the medicines for microdosing practices that are effective for whatever it is that their, uh, their intentions are. Um, you know, I'm mom of three kids. I've been in recovery from alcoholism for coming up on 39 years. Um, so I'm active in 12 step, but I'm also active in another organization called Psychedelics in Recovery. Um, that is breaking my anonymity, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, so I could probably go on and on. Um, well, that's the great thing about long form conversations is we can go on and on and there's nothing stopping us. One thing I really like to <clears throat> kind of go into the conversation with is what catalyst was it that put you to the point where you wanted to try something that currently in the United States is still illegal, right? So I was talking to a friend of mine that he was discussing his depression and it got to the point where him and his wife said, I don't care what it is, I need something and what they currently have to give me is not helping. I don't care if I'm breaking the law. Did you have a point in your life to where you 
when was the first time you actually heard of psychedelics in the use of a uh, medicine? Uh, the first time I heard about it was uh, from my friend Tyson Elliott, and I knew him through the you know, 12 step programs. And he started working with an organization called Crossroads in Baja, Mexico. And they were an organization that did Ibogaine treatments for detox. They also did psycho spiritual treatments. Um, Ibogaine is a medicine from the iboga plant, and there's a, a protocol that people use for uh, detox from all addictions uh, except for benzodiazepines. Um, and so I was, you know, in this abstinence-based program and had this, you know, mindset of psychedelics are bad. <laughs> Or, you know, they're, they're addictive, there's something, you know, not good about them. And so as he started getting involved with this, uh, this clinic, <clears throat> um, I started becoming more and more interested in it. And um, I, I ended up, he ended up like using my space as, you know, we would jokingly refer to it as crossroads corporate headquarters <laughs> and he did sales from there we'd you know have some meetings there um and i also had the honor and privilege of having clients stay at my home on their way down to the clinic and you know on their way back after they had their experience and the stories that i saw were amazing i mean people who are you know, hardcore heroin addicts like 10 days later, seven days later, completely free from withdrawal, um, happy, joyous, upbeat, excited about living. Um, so that's what hooked me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, that's not a guaranteed result, but I saw it enough to where um, it, it like, this is something to look into. And, you know, the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, group speak or, you know, mindset that was um, against uh, psychedelic medicines. It's like that got quieter and quieter as I started learning about these stories. So I begins one where I'm not familiar with at all. Um, do you know how that interacts with your body? What the mechanisms are? Not the scientific part of it. Okay. What's the um, experiential side of it? Well, for people who are going through detox treatment, uh, like 30 minutes after they take the uh, Ibogaine, you know, like I'm talking specifically heroin addicts, 30 minutes, 60 minutes after they take the Ibogaine, uh, they are literally free of withdrawals. Um, and I mean, I won't go into the whole experience um, of a journey with Ibogaine. Um, it is one of the, I would refer to it as one of the darker medicines. I mean, people have darker experiences with Ibogaine, sometimes like really horrifying, uh, nightmarish kind of uh, experiences. I've heard, you know, other people where they talk about being taken back to, uh, you know, the beginning of time on the planet. 
and they're shown, you know, how everything was, you know, developed and, you know, built and created and, um, sounds like a biblical story. There are, I mean, it's pretty unpredictable as far as the specific experience. I mean, people will connect with their ancestors. They'll connect with, uh, the spirit of Iboga, um, so it's, but it is one of the medicines that, you know, if you are, you have to be careful with it um, because it can cause um, a lowered heart rate. Uh, so there's, so it can potentially uh, give people heart attacks. Uh, so if somebody's doing what's, so there's flood doses, there is, there are um, low dose iboga treatments. So there's a, Ibogaine flood dose, which needs to be done under medical supervision. Uh, you have to have testing done with your heart and your liver um, and drug testing. You can't have any amphetamines in your system uh, if you're going to do an Ibogaine flood dose. So it, it's not one of the common psychedelics, um, and people do have to be very careful with it. And at this clinic down in Baja, what year was this? Mm. You're going to ask me to go with the timeline. <laughs> Give me a, a rough so, one. So, the uh, exact was, one. Okay, I can't tell you the year, but it was about eight years ago. Okay. About eight years ago. So pretty eight, recent. nine years so. ago. Yeah. And so did you personally decide to go down to the clinic and experience it? No, I, I have a medical condition that doesn't allow me to do that. Um, I have done uh, some, some low-dose iboga treatments or yeah i've used low dose iboga um i've microdosed with iboga um not one of my more favorite medicines so at the time though you had never experienced any psychedelics this was your first um i guess introduction to it used as a medicine yet now you're in a position where you've dedicated your life <laughs> to and I'm using psychedelics generally. I don't know if that, I guess the, the name of the organization where I found you is the Portland Psychedelic Society. So mm -hmm. I guess that's an accepted term yeah. for just various different plant uh, medicines. So was it that experience that drove you to completely change your life and dedication to a different way of life? Yes. Um, so first was the observation of it. You know, I'm a pretty cautious person. And so, you know, just watching and the observation. And um, in these clinics, a um, a common protocol that people use is they'll they'll uh, have the ibogaine flood dose, and then they'll do um, a, a, a treatment with a medicine called 5-MeO-DMT. Ooh, yeah, it's a lovely, lovely medicine. So, describe to people um, what 5-MeO-DMT is. 5-MeO-DMT is a medicine that comes from the Sonoran Desert Frog, which is actually endangered. So there are synthetic forms of it that people can use now. Um, and it is referred to as the God Molecule. And it is a medicine that creates a journey like no other. You are, um, when people experience what's referred to as a breakthrough, journey um they are you know uh 
transported instantly into uh, this space of bliss, love, you know, absolute. It's like it's nothingness and everything at the same time. And um, total, complete connectedness and alignment with whatever you want to call it, God, spirit, the all that there is. Um, and so the, the ego is completely dissolved. The ego referring to um, all of our life strategies, awarenesses, things that we need to do to keep ourselves safe. You are completely without any of that and without any need for it. Um, most people, when they come back from the journey, <laughs> there's no words to describe it. They do not have the words to, to describe it. Um, uh, there is, you know, people are just the first time I experienced that medicine, I was just in such a place of just uh, pure gratitude and connectedness. And there was no questioning or wondering about anything. It's like, oh, everything really is in perfect divine order. So it's in a, 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 a com total complete experience of that. Who? <laughs> that was a description. <laughs> and I do have, um, I have an event with some of my friends uh, with PPS uh, on September 8th uh, called All Things 5-MeO-DMT. So we're going to be talking a lot about that. So the Baja Clinic, they would do, um, you said flood? Um, Ibogaine flood doses. Ibogaine, Ibogaine flood doses, which mm -hmm. you didn't feel comfortable with due to um, just pre-existing health conditions, which yeah. I think is very wise and yeah. smart. That's why I, I would never say, hey, go out and find stuff and do it, even yeah. though it may be beneficial. Um, and then next day, they would bring out the 5-MeO-DMT? Uh, a couple days later. A couple days yeah, later. Yeah, so, so there it was, it was always a, in conjunction or mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, and oftentimes people would say that um, the the five meo DMT journey was the thing that really, um, you know, uh, I mean, people will call it curing, but you know, that that got them to the place where they didn't feel they were addicted anymore. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, I don't have any personal experience. I don't have any close friends that have been able to pick their brains that have gone through like a heroin addiction then used Ibogaine to get off. So all I have is different references I've heard online and it, it sounded like there's a really good success rate with Ibogaine, mm -hmm. but that it's not, a, it's not a forever cure all. They could always just go back, but it does help them. So that's interesting that using the 5-MeO afterwards and having an experience like you just described may potentially take away that desire to uh, go back to it. I don't know. I'm just... Well, can I, can I talk about addiction treatment for a minute? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, the 12-step movement, uh, you know, has a, a set of steps, a process that people go through. And, you know, after they go through this process, they uh, are supposed to be having a spiritual awakening, right? Um, and as a result of, of living a certain spiritual path. Um, 
So what I talk to people about you know, what, when I was more involved in um, uh, coordinating treatments is that uh, with the Ibogaine and the 5-MeO-DMT, uh, it's kind of a backwards situation where people will have this spiritual awakening as a result of using these medicines. Um, but you still have to do the work. So you still have to do maintenance. And, you know, if you've had a lot of wreckage in your life as a result of an addiction, you know, there's cleanup to do. And, um, and you know, some uh, shifting of you know, habits and mindsets and behaviors to be able to continue to support that spiritual awakening. Um, one of the um, one of the reasons I got so involved with the preparation and integration coaching is because of the um, experiences that I had with people who thought that this medicine was just going to fix them, that they would be able to go down and get an ibogaine treatment. And then they would be cured forevermore. And that is not the case. There is still, you know, people need to have preparation work and then have a, what I refer to as a lifestyle of integration to be able to continue to support this higher level consciousness that they connected with. I had a conversation with an addiction therapist. She deals specifically with people who had trauma and she would argue that most addiction is caused because people are trying to cover the pain from past trauma, whether you know that you had trauma or not. And yeah, I would agree. And knowing that, and then knowing what I do know now about psychedelics, how when I was talking with um, Nadia the other day, she was talking about how psychedelics have the ability to kind of almost shove your face in your past issues that you're just not maybe it's yeah. subconscious and you didn't even know but it has mm -hmm. the ability to pull that little curtain away where you've been hiding all of this junk that you've been carrying with you your whole life mm -hmm. and maybe it's not the drug that actually cures you but it's the drug that is the ability to actually see and whether you like it or not, you're going to deal with it because you're in this trip for the next few hours. And yes. so you're forced to have this experience and dealing with those experiences is what quote unquote cures you or, or helps you not have to go back to that drug, whether it be alcohol or heroin or whatever, because you don't, you're not covering a pain anymore. You've dealt with that pain. Mm -hmm. um, does that sound about what, uh, how would you respond to that? I'm I'm just piecing this all together from conversations I've had, and I'm I'm a novice at this time. Yes, <laughs> yes, that it it that is one way that it works. Um, you know, uh, an introduction to a um, a connection with spirit of the universe, uh, undeniable connection to spirit of the universe. Um, could be another part of it. But yes, the trauma resolution is extremely important, whether with, with all mental, my opinion, all mental health uh, issues and addiction, particularly addiction. Um, uh, Gabor Mate is um, one of the uh, like leading teachers with um, you know, um, trauma-informed treatment for addiction. And, uh, well for mental health 
disorders also. And he says that you will never find an addict or an alcoholic without an unresolved trauma. Um, and, you know, I mean, trauma, that's a whole other subject because it can be, um, you know, uh, uh, like major, major traumas. Um, or it could be somebody that you would ask them and they'd say, oh, well, you know, I had a pretty good life. I didn't have much trauma. Um, and so it doesn't really matter so much of as what the event was um, as um, the experience of the individual or the, the experience the individual had with the event. Um, and, you know, most certainly there are people that are, you know, s much more severely traumatized than others. Um, but, you know, I've seen like across the board, you know, people with really serious traumas and like extreme traumas and, um, you know, live relatively normal lives now. Really good at hiding it. Uh, or coping. 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 I mean, um, you will find like every single, a any story, any, any story and every story. The more people you talk to about, you know, trauma-informed addiction recovery um, and using psychedelics for that. So what you were asking about with, um, you know, uh, the, with a psychedelic trip, the only way out is through. And yes, it's like, once you take the medi medicine, you're in it, you know, you are in it. And, you know, sometimes the experiences can be, you know, really dark and very difficult. Um, and, you know, sometimes they can be, you know, a little bit more playful. You can have some darkness, you can have some light, um, you know, so it, it varies. This is where the importance comes of having community to be able to connect with so that you can integrate the experiences. And, uh, you know, if someone is having a difficult experience or if they're having some, some deeper issues that they're wanting to um, have resolution with, my own personal opinion is important to have a, a person that you're working with one-on-one -on -one to do the, that integration work. Because you know, I've known of people who have been traumatized with their, ex, their psychedelic experiences um, due to a lack of an effective integration of it. Yeah, I've talked to people that they had expectations going in that were not met and they said they will never do it again. <laughs> <clears throat> and yeah, I, I'm worried that we have such a powerful tool and we don't know how to use it. And so it's causing actual harm, actual issues because we don't have enough knowledge around it. Um, cause I will, let's take a talk about the legality of it. Mm -hmm. Um, do you know, have you gone into a deep delve on the history of why these drugs are on a schedule one right now. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, can I give a couple of resources for people? Yeah, too? Okay. Um, one of them is um, a book by Johan Hari. That's called Chasing the Scream. And he lays out the, the history of the quote war on drugs. You know, very well. Um, 
There is a podcast that I came across recently. Uh, it's Scraps, S-K-R-A-P-P-S. And they have a, a whole series on um, on psychedelics and the war on drugs. And, um, you know, there's a, yeah. I mean, some of the information they have on those episodes is a little triggering so just be aware of that because <laughs> um, some of the testing that was done with LSD um, you know uh, in prisons and in some other places was you know it's a little disturbing um, so uh, in 1970 there was the Controlled Substance Act that was um, put in place by Nixon and if you look at the history of it, so um, psychedelic medicines were put into the Schedule One uh, category, which means that they have uh, no medical benefits and that they are um, uh, have a high potential for abuse. Um, and those are that's not true about the psychedelic medicines at that time in the 1970s so probably from the you know, 40s 40s through the 70s there were there was a lot of research that was being done uh specifically well some with ibogaine um but you know a lot of it with lsd for treatment um for uh mental health conditions as depression um uh, and for alcoholism and, and addiction, and it was working, and they were getting really good results. Um, and when that Control Substance Act went into place, it's like all of that research was immediately halted. Um, so, you know, I could go into my opinions about. Please do. <laughs> the great part about this. Um, I believe that the that um, the Substance Control Act was put in place to have control over populations of individuals. Um, you know, at that time, you know, these people, you know, there was the, the hippies, right? So there was this huge movement and people were using LSD and um, they, you know, free love and, but they were having, they were literally having spiritual awakenings. And being able to, like, see through a lot of the bullshit that was happening, um, you know, with government, you know, with their own families, with just everywhere. Um, and, you know, coming into a place where um, what they wanted to do was live uniquely from um, their authentic self. And um, which, you know, our culture really doesn't allow for that. Um, and you know, there were the, um, you know, a lot of protests. I mean, people were just kind of out of control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so, you know, a way that the government will, could control that population of people was to, uh, you know, enable this Control Substance Act. Um, again, in Johan Hari's book, he goes into the details of that, you know, when they're... Um, uh, when when opium was taken off because it used to be available, you know, over the counter for people, um, but then there was also the the opium dens, 
um, with the, you know, uh, people, Chinese people who were here. And, um, you know, there's, you know, argument that shifting, you know, opium into a control substance and having it be only available through doctors was, uh, you know, partially to control this population of people because then that would give them the ability to, you know, go into these opium dens and, um, and you know, have this um, viewpoint that these people were criminals. Um, so, yeah, Johans Hari's book is, is really good. I'm going to have to look that up. I've seen a few different, I mean, there's insurmountable evidence that what you're saying is true. I don't think anyone is that's really looked into it can disagree. It's just blatant that there was a misuse of power back then. And unfortunately it's taken what 50, 60 years to the point where I, I tend to think that more and more people are open-minded about it. Part of the reason why I wanted to travel, um, Again, I'm from Texas and I've gone through most of the United States now traveling to people from all or talking to people from all over the place. And I've been shocked. I've been pleasantly surprised how open-minded people have been about the fact that more and more individuals are seeking help of these things that are, I mean, it, it makes them felons. You know, it's weird saying it that way. I don't think it's correct, but I really was disheartened when I spoke to a congressman and I asked him, you know, what's the general consensus amongst most legislators? And mm -hmm. his response was pretty much, oh, we don't even talk about it. It's not even on our radar. Yeah. Yet to so many people, it's a matter of life or death. Mm -hmm. I, I can't express enough how much pain I've heard from people that have opened up to me about how people who have taken the leap and done something illegal, how much it helped them. Mm -hmm. And then all the other people that are just terrified, they're, they're not willing to take that leap. And for good reason, you know, most of them are parents. I myself am terrified because someone could potentially come knock on my door. Mm -hmm. So what's your personal opinion on speaking to those people, whether you're a parent or a it, it doesn't matter who you are, you're a human being that's terrified of the law, but are desperately in need of some sort of help. And yeah. this is something that they could potentially help them. What, what steps yeah. do they take? Research, research, research. There are, there are, we, it's amazing what's happening right now. I mean, the, the lid has been blown off of <laughs> keeping the secret on psychedelics. It's just, it is incredibly impressive. Um, so, you know, uh, Portland Psychedelic Society, we have a, a YouTube channel that all of our presentations are uploaded to. I've run uh, seven support groups throughout per month throughout the pandemic, uh, where people can come and share their experience and ask questions. I mean, there's all, they're all kind you know, addiction related uh, some women's support groups, integration circles. We have a microdosing discussion group. Um, so, you know, I'm not condoning the uh, the use of illegal medicines, um, but I am condoning 
uh, people doing their own research and making their own decision about it. Um, there are, um, so there's the uh, decriminalized nature movement that's taken place that's taking place now. Um, so there's a number of cities where um, the um, where psychedelic medicines are decriminalized. Um, so you know you can go onto their website and get more information about that. Um, Michael Pollan's book um, talking about his experience with uh, psychedelic medicines is is really good. Disclaimer there, people do come away with the thought that, oh, I'm going to do one psychedelic journey and then I'm going to be okay. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not how it works. It takes work, you know, preparation and integration. Um, but, you know, do do your research. Um, and um, there are so many more resources available now um, if you just start looking and keep an open mind. Um, th there are, uh, there are studies being done at John Hopkins, uh, university. There's, stu there's studies being done everywhere. Uh, uh, UC Davis, there's studies being done with, um, some Ibogaine, synthesized Ibogaine for addiction treatment. Um, I think Mind Cure up in Canada there, um, they fund, you know, some, um, uh, research, um, there's research being done, you know, that's funded by them. I don't remember the name of the organization, but it's by Deborah Mash, um, on, on Ibogaine. Um, there, you know, MAPS is an organization. Look up them. It's the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic. Yeah. I've heard of MAPS. Yeah, that one's very MAPS. credible. They're trying to, I think they're a big one pushing MDMA. Is that correct? MDMA. Um, they've done studies. I don't know if they're doing one now with psilocybin. I think they are. But yeah, MDMA, big, huge, gigantic. So that one, uh, MDMA has been fast-tracked for treatment for PTSD. Um, and, you know, there's lots of underground providers that are that have been working with this medicine uh, for years. And then, you know, the, the indigenous practices, the medicines with, um, you know, psilocybin and ayahuasca and iboga. I mean, we're talking thousands of years um, that there have been, you know, indigenous uh, cultures using these medicines. And, you know, now we're just trying to figure out how to fit it into the, our Western world. Um, and, um, you know, treating these Western world illnesses and diseases. And, um, you know, so it really is taking a, a, a shift, a, a pretty drastic mind shift, mindset shift for people. Because um, it's not like a, a pill that you take and then you're supposed to get better. It just doesn't work like that. And that's the the mindset that a majority of you know western medical minded people have mm -hmm. um and it because when you're um you know uh having a psychedelic journey i mean it is it's like it's like on every level 
we're multidimensional beings. And uh, for us to get well or get better, we need to address all of these different levels of our being. Um, so yeah, research, open-mindedness, and, you know, don't experiment with it until you feel safe and comfortable and you're willing to, you know, and at this point, it's really not that big of a risk. I'm just going to say. Depending on which substance you use and where you get it. Depending or, on what substance. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's. And go. who you are and, you know, what your circumstances are. Uh, you know, professionals who are, um, you know, tested. You know. Oh, when you say risks, not a risk uh, legally as far as getting. I, I'm talking about a risk legally. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, it's really important to be well educated on, you know, enough to where you know what preparation is, you know what integration is. And that's. That's what I teach people. That's what I want people to come away from, you know, after they've, you know, worked for, with me, you know, for a couple of months. Um, uh, um, if they, you know, come away from, you know, one of my groups, that they're, they're on the path for becoming educated about this. You know, knowing what the medicine is, knowing what contraindications there are, knowing, um, you know, what dose would be good for you. Um, you know, there's like something referred to as a heroic dose of psilocybin, which is like seven grams, which, Oof. yeah. <laughs> I was talking to, uh, uh, Nadia. She says it's very, very interesting. She's, I asked her about dose, if they have a specific dose they always go with. She said, oh, absolutely not. It depends mm -hmm. person to person. Yeah. So, well, how do you determine that? And she said that it's the only way is by feel it's by getting to know the person by speaking with them and then trying to figure out what it is. And she said it's drastic anywhere from 0.3 grams mm -hmm. to five grams. She said they limited it five, the heroic dose. Yeah. Seven. Uh, it, I've, I have friends who have done three grams and have lost, not lost their mind, but you know, figuratively speaking, they, they went on a journey. Let me put it that way. Um, so what I don't want is for someone to hear this and then they go and pick up a mushroom off the ground and just down it. Um, we all know that there's lots of different types of mushrooms out there. Mm -hmm. Some of them are incredibly deadly. Um, I guess, I think you already answered what I was going for. Research, 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 because yeah. I'm, I'm certain there's a, a place nearby, anyone that's listening to this, that they can find safe, um, product or plants whatever you want to call them but the the hard part is we i guess you just have to trust yourself to do the research because there is a lot of i with anything that's very powerful i think there's a potential good and a potential harm and i guess what i'm trying to get at is i think we need to have a large respect for these things because they are incredibly powerful and i don't know if um i don't know if legalizing it is the best way to do it because as we've seen with marijuana 
yeah, it's a lot more accessible, but it's also, I don't know, there's a, I'm afraid if they legalize it, that it's going to be drowned out by what's always happened with, you know, the big farmer right now. They've taken these exact, lots of these <laughs> drugs. So like heroin, for example, we make it legal. We take down these opium dens and then we give people the ability to sell that same exact drug, but <clears throat> altered a little bit and they stamp their name on it. And now we have an opium epidemic, an opioid epidemic. Oh yeah. And you know, with the world well, the criminalization of it um you also have this whole and again you know in johan hari's book he talks about how it created this whole criminal underground for you know you know for, for moving these drugs um this is a huge i mean we could talk hours just about this because there's um so there's the decriminalized nature movement, right? And so they're saying, look, these medicines, this is nature. This is like stuff that you can go get in, like in the, you know, in the wild. You can grow in your backyard. Yeah. You can grow in your house. Yeah. 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 Um, ayahuasca, of course, it's not, you can't grow that here. But, um, you know, th their argument is that, you know, these are, it's it's nature. And, um, and we should not be. Um, put in jail for <laughs> for using nature um, and I was you know I was looking at uh, actually this morning looking at the the different um, schedules the the drug schedules right and um, the, the thing is is that uh, so like LSD psilocybin I mean it, it is you know you cannot overdose and die on these things um you know the, the stories that you hear about like you know people jumping out of windows and going crazy permanently insane uh those are like i mean i have never even heard of like somebody that i know of that that happened to people can appear to be insane while they're on in a psychedelic journey but that relates to <laughs> a, a you know poor set and setting you know, which is mindset and environment, um, you know, lack of preparation, you know, lack of using the medicines consciously and responsibly. Um, but my point is that the, uh, the benefits of psychedelic medicines far, 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 far outweigh any of the the negative that you would be able to come up with so and if you take that compared to um the opiates right so the the potential i mean the danger of using opiates and you know the um suboxone or you know any of the medicines that contain those for pain relief i mean you look at the horrendously awful results of the opioid crisis. Devastating. Devastating. It's like there's just absolutely no comparison. Millions of people. Millions and millions of people's lives that are affected. I mean, people innocently... I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of 
you know, a kid in high school having an injury, sports injury, starting to take, you know, um, oxycodone and, you know, they get a prescription of 30 pills for it. And after that, literally they're addicted. They're chemically dependent on these medications. Um, and, you know, I'm, I could go on and on about stories with that. And people end up going to the street and becoming heroin addicts. And if you look at the whole, you know, Sackler story about how these medicines were, um, about how they were marketed and the experiments that they did with marketing, I mean, it's, it's, that's criminal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, apparently yeah. we're only one of two countries in the world that allow direct marketing to consumers from pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. That says a lot. Yeah. And, but what's fabulous about what's happening right now, so they were, were referring to this time as the psychedelic renaissance. And there's so much research being done. So there's the, um, you know, there's the, you know, legal medical research that's being done, but the social experiments. The, like the the underground, the social research that's being done is it's really incredible, and that's the stuff that I get to hear about with all of these people. Do you feel comfortable talking about some of your own personal uh, experiences with different substances? Sure. I had a friend ask me, like everyone who describes it, they're always like some dude and they're like bro it was just like oh my gosh but they have no way to actually <laughs> verbalize it so he's like maybe someone with a brain can describe what it's like <laughs> yeah that's pretty funny you did a great job with 5-MeO DMT what are some of the other psychedelics that you think are worth looking into and how they they're different as far as the actual experience while you're on that journey um well, the most accessible medicines are, uh, I would say, psilocybin, LSD, and probably MDMA. And let's throw ketamine in there, too, because ketamine is actually, um, that is a medicine. It's not considered uh, a, a classic psychedelic. Um, it's actually a dissociative. It's, a, um, it's an anesthetic. Ketamine is. And, but it is being used for um, treatment for, of depression. Um, that's one of the main things that people will, or these clinics will market it for. But there are clinics like popping up everywhere, ketamine clinics. Again, preparation and integration is so important. A lot of these clinics, like they don't even, they don't really know what they're getting themselves into because they're looking at it from a medical mindset. Um, so ketamine is one of the um, ones that's being used legally right now. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going off. You asked about the different medicines. Yeah. Okay. Would you be able to walk us through like the experience that you had on on different uh, substances that you used? <laughs> I think it's very fascinating to me. Uh, yes, I can do that. Um, so psilocybin, you said that was one of the more uh, common ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for me personally with psilocybin, um, 
So a deep dive journey for me is between three and four grams. Um, and uh, in the beginning, um, it's, it's usually very uncomfortable, um, like very uncomfortable. Um, and you know, a little nauseous and, you know, a little shaky. I don't know why I always like feel shaky, <laughs> uh, in the beginning of a, a deep dive journey with, you know, if it's ayahuasca or psilocybin. Um, and, um, with my last journey, um, and with a lot of journeys, I, uh, I have pretty significant emotional release with tears, crying, just crying, crying, crying. Um, and you know, that, that kind that, that really deep, very satisfying sobbing kind of crying. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'll just be, um, you know, transparent. The last journey that I did, um, the reason that I did it was because of, uh, my depression. So it was a, a, about a year ago, I think this month, and I had experienced um, uh, a, a crisis with this gland disorder that I had. So I was had been really, really sick for a couple of months. Um, and that brought on or part of that was severe depression. Um, and, you know, I have had on and off throughout my life, um, different bouts of you know, chronic depression with suicidal ideation. And that was the place that I found myself in last year. Um, and, you know, not a lot of people knew exactly, exactly, exactly how bad it was. Um, and that's another part of depression, I think, is that uh, people do have a lot of shame around that. Um, and thinking that they're the only ones. Um, and so I knew that a deep dive psilocybin journey would lift that. I got the physical stuff taken care of. I was well as far as that went, or not well, but better. Um, and so I you know, asked a friend to sit with me for this psilocybin journey. And... Um, through the journey, you know, I just had this experience of all the mistakes. So all the mistakes, all the shame that I had about myself and all the mistakes that I thought I had made. And how did I end up in this situation? And, um, and then it went into the world. So, you know, the setting, of course, is the world pandemic <laughs> last year. Oof. Right? Yeah. So I had this awareness of like, oh my God, it's not just me. Look at all the mistakes everywhere that everyone, I mean, it's, this is fucking awful. And then I was lifted into a place of like, you know, everybody makes mistakes. It's like, what we do. That's just what we do. And it's not really a mistake. We're just learning. And we try things and, you know, the great democratic 
experiment, right? We're trying this thing out. And um, it's just what we do. And there's no shame in it. And, and everything works out in the end. Everything works out. Everything is always working out. And um, I got to celebrate me during that journey. See all the things that I've done, all three. I'm 57 years old. I've done a lot of stuff. All the people that I've helped, all the, you know, I've raised three kids and, you know, been married, I'm divorced. I, you know, just like this, like this slideshow or movie of like all of this great stuff that I've done um, and this deep deep gratitude just I just experienced this incredibly deep gratitude and um, acceptance of everything 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 um, so that was my last journey and you know what? I didn't want to die after that. <laughs> and I was happy. And I was upbeat. And I was engaged in my life. Um, so, yeah. That's a psilocybin journey. I was talking to an old econ professor. And he was talking about how as, as elders... Um, we usually get to a place in life where we can show all of our successes and we hide all of the darkness that we struggled through <laughs> along the way and we're doing a disservice to the youth by not sharing that and I think if we had people saying yeah everyone has depression it's terrible it's awful but there's a way through it mm -hmm. um I, my childhood would have been more at least manageable. And so thank you for, for being vulnerable and opening up and sharing. Cause I think it's becoming more and more apparent that we all have a lot of stuff that we need to all deal with. And if we think we're alone, that just makes it a lot scarier. If we think we're alone, it makes it a lot scarier. It it makes it so much worse. Um, there's the shame and judgment. I mean, it just makes it worse and worse and worse. And I think it's important for people to know that they don't have to be alone and they don't have to suffer, um, that there is a, there is a solution. Um, you know, I mean, psychedelic medicines are, uh, for me, it's, it's a big part of what I do just because I'm so involved with the community. Um, I do microdose which helps with, you know, with my depression and, um, but it just like helps me be a better me. Um, and, you know, I want people to know that, you know, it's not a magic pill, but it can be like the magic ingredient for their life to start um, getting better. Uh, and, you know, right now with, you know, the PTSD with from frontline workers, I mean, we've all had trauma. We've all been traumatized, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Um, the, you know, 
with the economy. Uh, you know, just recently, what the eviction moratorium is off now. So, I mean, we just don't know what's going to be happening. Um, I'm sorry, my dog's barking in the back. Oh, half of my episodes have dogs barking in them, so that's really? just par for the course. Yeah, I, I, I think that the people in the house left, and so she's... Uh, she and your cute in. one here, the size of a chipmunk's climbing on me. Oh. Adorable. She might let you pick her up. Well, she actually <laughs> would. But if you, like, try to pick her up, she'll back up. It's her game. <laughs> she would love to be sitting on your lap right now, though. Um, so your description of psilocybin was amazing. Um, what about, have you experienced MDMA? Because that's one that I've been told doesn't really have much of a dark side where psilocybin you do go through a journey you're gonna have some bad trips um mdma at least in my experience is always positive have you experienced that before um i've used low dose mdma with a psilocybin journey um so i i haven't used it in higher doses but yes that is I would say that that's an accurate description of, of MDMA. Because you brought up MAPS. I think that's one of their big pushes is to try to at least, whether they're taking it off of Schedule 1, at least getting it to the ability to where they can actually start studying and getting data on it, specifically for PTSD, because there's been almost miraculous results through mm -hmm. vets who have left <laughs> a little puppy. For anyone who can't see the video, it's the cutest dog in the world sitting in your lap. This is Callie. This is the healer puppy. Huh? Yes. Um, so uh, MAPS is doing, uh, they're in the um, uh, third stage trials for, um, for uh, legalization of MDMA for treatment of PTSD. And the little I heard is they're looking for actual trained therapists who can get another certification to be able to use um, MDMA in their treatments as well. Do you know anything about that? Well, they train therapists, so they have a training. Um, they have a training for therapists um, that are doing these research studies. Um, right now, I believe it's the uh, Portland Therapy Center. Um so they're doing, I think they are, they have um, five or they have space for five people. Um, actually, it might be going already. They have space for five clients who um, would be, would fall under the research. Um, they have the research treatment. Um, but so there's ones where, where it's paid for. That they're that maps is doing and then um there's a, a handful that people would actually need to pay for for themselves for the treatment um so there's some great stuff going on but i would i think by i think the target date is 2023 for legalization of mdma for treatment for ptsd now the thing that happens is that once it's legalized for, uh, uh, or once it's 
um, FDA approved for one use, then it can be used for other purposes. Um, so like ketamine is an anesthesia, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they have found that it's like really amazing for treating PTSD, depression, you know, addiction, alcoholism. So there's these clinics that are actually using it for that. Um, so you can use it for, I don't remember exactly what it's called, uh, but you can use it for, you know, a, the, a purpose that it's not uh, actually FDA approved for. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So are you for full legalization of all substances or are there certain substances you think we still should highly regulate? Um, I, so ultimately, I think that these substances should be legalized. All of them across the board? No, I wouldn't necessarily. So the, the psychedelic medicines, um, I, I don't want to commit to an opinion on that. Okay, that's um, fair. You know, there's so much going on right now with, um, you know, so there's a plant medicine healing alliance and they're trying to move some um legislature legislature through the city council and then there's the uh decrim nature and decrim nature portland so there's a couple of differences between you know the, the text of um uh of what they're trying to get pushed through the city council you know there's the subjects of um sustainability so you make five meo dmt legal everywhere right you have these the sonoran desert frogs so what what they do is you get the frog and then you milk their gland and then dry dry the venom and the 5-meo is is created from that well they're already endangered right now so if you legalize it across the board you know it's like no more no more toads really but you said you can synthesize that now uh-huh yeah, so it okay. can be synthesized. Well, I guess would that fall under like decriminalizing nature? Does that would that include say ketamine or MDMA or no. MDMA? It would just uh, be no. shrooms, marijuana, mushrooms, and LSD, ayahuasca. Uh, mushrooms. And it really doesn't. I'm not sure about. Well, cannabis. LSD itself is synthesized as well too. Uh, yes. I know it comes uh, you know from what? the fungus ergot, but. So I'm pretty sure uh, Plant Medicine Healing Alliance includes LSD. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure about, I think Decrim Nature does too. Um, but yeah. They're... So NMDMT, which is ayahuasca, right? I, I think, I hope I'm saying that right. I need to look that up. It's, is it NMDMT, the one that's in ayahuasca? Yeah, so they just say DMT. Okay, and then the 5-MeO-DMT um, is the Sonora, Sonora frog? Sonoran desert frog. Sonoran desert frog. Yeah. Someday I will be educated about these things. You know what? There's so <laughs> much. There's a lot. Well, that's what I, when I started going to a, a real lot. deep dive, a there's a, there's these huge books that were written like 300 BC on just pharmacology and these different plants and what they do. Uh -huh. Apparently there's thousands of different drugs that are psychoactive that we just, mm -hmm. they're not public, not, not public knowledge, but no one talks about them. But 
it's it really starts to make me wonder like what are we missing out with if we have such huge potential with healing with just a few of these drugs mm -hmm. i'm excited to where we get these to where we can start studying them and we just simply take the stigma away because if there is a dark side let's expose it and educate people about the dark side and allow the the positive side to just start racing forward i agree 100%. And just like with DMT, just on that note, DMT is found in everything. We have it in our bodies. We, you know, it's in plants, it's in shrubs, it's in trees, it's everywhere. It's in everything. Um, so, you know, it's like, oh, well, DMT is everywhere and it's in our body and our bodies actually produce it, then maybe it's not such a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Right? Which I'll be honest, that's one where I want to try to track down while I'm here in Oregon because it is decriminalized everything in Oregon, right? Now, is uh, that accurate or no? I, well, yes. Well, a friend of mine, he he says, well, it's defenal, defelonized. 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 You can still go to jail for it and get a big fine. If well, it, in, no, you can get a fine within uh with for certain amounts. I mean, of course, if you go over that amount, then it's it's a different story. But there's you know small amounts have been uh defelonized because you can still get you know a hundred dollar ticket for it but you can if you do get a ticket then you have the option of having a health assessment which is freaking awesome because that means you know and, and then they're they're creating these programs for um and this is under measure 110 um so, and they're creating these programs for treatment now what's really cool about that is that there's um, uh, Dr. Angela Carter, who is on the um, board of advisors for the psilocybin assisted therapy licensing. She's on their advisory board and she was just hired with uh, OHA for uh, a certain area of the implementation for measure 110, which is treatments for addiction. So I am excited to see what happens uh, as far as being able to integrate the psilocybin assisted therapy into treatment for addiction. That's very exciting. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. I, I fully had plans to to search out something while I was here, but I'm with my family and it's still, I don't, know where to go i'm not local it's still like the stigma in me is so strong that i i'm like i'd be a terrible dad if i went looking for drugs while my kids were <laughs> and then i have think about the conversation we had i'm like well why is that bad and so that's why i'm trying to get this all on the microphone because if it's bad it's bad but we need to talk about it and tell me why it's bad and we need to discuss the actual actions versus what we've been kind of brainwashed to understand our whole lives and i'm not through it i still have this bias and preconceived preconceived notion of what is good and bad and i'm i'm working my way through it but i'm like can i really uh go be not i like i don't even know where to start first off but i'm only going to be here for the next few days so sorry listeners if you're really excited for me to do dmt on the microphone it's probably not going to happen but... <laughs> well 
Maybe we'll figure something out to bring that experience to your listeners. We'll see what happens. But what I do want to say about that, what you're talking about right now is um, what I tell people is that your journey starts the minute you set the intention for having an experience with a psychedelic medicine. So everything that happens from that time that you set the intention is part of your growth experience. I like that. Yeah. And so, and, but that's part of this like whole, you know, this preparation and integration, this, it's like, you can't, you can't separate it out. You know, like we're multidimensional beings. You can't just like, you know, intellectualize and, you know, say, oh, yeah, this is what happens on a psychedelic journey. Like, I mean, I told you, but it's like when I was in at the towards the end of my journey, my last one, I was just cracking up laughing about it's like it's crazy to think about integrating this. It's like when you're in that space, that higher level consciousness, it's like. It's ridiculous to try to think about how you're going to like come down into 3D world and talk about it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it was like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm an integration specialist. I run groups on it every month. And, you know, and here I am in the journey thinking, well, that's a joke. <laughs> yeah. So your journey's already started, my friend. So before we end this, I, I'm a, I'm a family man. I got a seven-year-old daughter and a one-year-old daughter and my wife and the kids, we've all been traveling around together. Um, you mentioned that you had children. Are they very supportive of your uh, path working with psychedelics? Absolutely. They love their mama. <laughs> Have you, uh, um, gone on journeys with them? No, I have not. Would you recommend doing it with friends and family? Uh, I know of a lot of people who have done that. And, and it can be um, very, very beneficial. Um, I, know, I know families that it's just part of who they are and what they do. Um, you know, of course, you know, seven-year-olds, I wouldn't recommend that. Um, you yeah. know, I would have to say it's like, you know, 18, 21 um, but, uh, yes, my, my, uh, my kids have a lot of respect for me and for my path. Uh, you know, I've had some, you know, some hard patches of road in my life and, um, you know, this is not one of them. And, um, you know, they think they have a pretty cool mom. Well, I think they have a pretty cool mom as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending the time to sit down with me and open up. I think this is a important topic. And the more that people are educated about it, I think they're going to start to realize that it's something that needs to be talked about, you know, in a an important setting. We need to start having real conversations in person with people. That's one thing that mm -hmm. I, I'm kind of realizing is as I've started this journey, um, 
with the podcast, I have been doing them 100% in person and it, the cathartic nature of it is immeasurable. It, especially in light of this pandemic where we've been so separated from people, humans are not meant to be alone and technology is a, it's a sad substitute for communicating. I, you know, we had a conversation with a friend and how he was talking a lot more educated about it than I do. But when we have a, an in-person communication like this, there's actually a chemical dump in our brains yeah. that they've studied that you don't get that when mm-hmm. you're online. And so it's almost like chasing the dragon. It's like you're online and you're going for this like social dump. You want this reaction to what you typically have when you have a human reaction but you're not getting it so then you dive deeper then you dive deeper and then before you know it you're on forums for QAnon supporting something that's just completely potentially dangerous and it's definitely not getting you uh moving on in life and upwards and onwards yeah I think uh the internet communities that we connect with it's very important to be mindful about the rabbit holes that we go down with those. I'm really happy with the rabbit holes that I go down with, <laughs> <laughs> with my amazing communities. Um, but yeah, they, um, I, I'm so happy for you that you've been able to, you know, live this passion of yours or find this passion, right, of podcasting and being able to connect with people in person. And yes, um, uh, I also am also, yeah, I'm a massage therapist and an intuitive healer and, uh, you know, th- the absence of physical connection with people for people, it's been devastating, you know, and, and I, the people that I, uh, my heart really goes out to are the ones who not only have uh, been cut off from their normal physical interactions with their community, but have not had the, um, the you know, the ability or the desire to connect with people virtually through technology, where it's like, you know, all of a sudden they've been in this cave for months and months and months and months. So um, anybody out there that happens to be listening to this, I really encourage you because it looks like we've got a little bit more ways to go here. <laughs> uh, but I would encourage you to take the leap to get connected with uh, communities that are online. So Portland Psychedelic Society, San Francisco Psychedelic Society, there's you know, more and more psychedelic societies popping up across, uh, across actually across the world. And then use that connection to make a physical ne- connection with someone in real life, yeah. IRL, as they say in online. <laughs> I love that. Because that is that in and of itself is a healing medicine, just being with people and sharing yourself. It is. We had our first um, in-person gathering at the park with Portland Psychedelic Society about a month ago. And it was really quite glorious to be with people in person after I've been with a lot of these people for a year and a half online. Yeah, it was really cool. 
It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and we'll definitely be keeping in touch now that I know this exists. I'm definitely going to be coming back to Oregon at some point doing another tour around and I want to see where your journey's gone from here. Likewise, I will be interested in seeing where you change. All right. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. The conversation is getting bigger and bigger, and I want to invite all of you to join in. There's a few ways to do it. You can go to IamWoodstock.com. That's IamWoodstock.com. There you'll find a contact form where you can input your email and contact me directly. You can also go to the I Am Woodstock Facebook page to leave comments and start a conversation with the entire IAW community. If you're a fan of pictures, check out the I Am Woodstock Instagram, where my wife is sharing some of the family adventures. If you're enjoying the show and want it to grow even more, go to the Good Stuff page on my website. There you'll find links to all of my sponsors, as well as a link directly to the I Am Woodstock Patreon, where you can become an official patron and allow me to be picky about the sponsors I choose. Thank you all for the support. And don't forget, this is all about starting real conversations. If you're driving in your car, call up a friend who you haven't seen in a while and discuss some of the topics you've come across on the show. Trust me, you will not regret it. See you next time. I am Woodstock.